When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, Pella, they're day one, man. They're, they're, they're day one homies for the Nick Bob Podcast. They've been with me from day one. And, you know, not only is Pella a great company, they got great people there. I went to school with my guy Vince, just a great dude. They're the kind of people you want to do business with. And if you've pushed off a project with some windows or some doors, something like that, now is the time to turn that project into a reality because we all know a new set of windows, a new door can do a lot of things for you, can change the look, the vibe, the feeling of your home. It can add value to your home. Plus it can make your home more energy efficient. Pella checks all those boxes and then some Pella can provide window and door solutions to any home. And again, working with the people at Pella second to none. So hit them up online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob podcast is powered by Runza. Runza has an app, and you need to download that app because as a father of two little kids, anything that can increase speed and efficiency when it comes to eating, I'm all for it. And the app does that. I can order food on the app, pop into the restaurant. It's ready for me. It's hot. I'm in. I'm out. I'm now like a finalist for dad of the year or something like that. And it's in large part due to the Runza app and ordering is a breeze on the app. You can customize your order. You can get all your favorites just the way you want them. Plus, you can earn points for rewards in the app. You can score free food from Runza in the app. So go download the Runza app. You can get Runza, get rewards, then get more Runza all on the app. Runza makes it all better. All right, here we go. Welcome into another edition of the Nick Bob podcast. And we certainly have a lot to talk about. It's been an interesting week. Uh, regarding Nebraska football, everybody kind of in wait and see mode and what's going to happen with these coaching hires. Got one coaching hire to discuss with you and Mickey Joseph. Going to get to that in a second. Again, we're taping this. It's December 3rd. It's Friday. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. So at any second, this podcast could become dated because some more news could break. So I've kind of been holding off on recording podcasts just because you never know what's going to happen with, with these hires. But the the big news that I want to start the podcast with is the official announcement that Adrian Martinez is leaving Nebraska and going to enter the transfer portal. First of all, I, I gave some, and I maybe did this prematurely and too early, but I just couldn't help myself. I gave my in-depth thoughts on Adrian Martinez's legacy at Nebraska, my thoughts on his entire career, how I view him as a quarterback, uh, the good, the bad, all of it on a podcast I recorded last week. It's in the first 24 minutes of that podcast. I've retweeted that podcast link. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. So I'm not, I'm not going to repeat myself in everything that I said last week. But if you want my thoughts on Adrian Martinez, how he arrived, how he now exits, uh, it, it's it's all right there. But with the, again, the, the news officially coming out that Martinez is, is entering the transfer portal and leaving Nebraska, that does provide some semblance of finality of the Martinez era at Nebraska. And now that it's officially official, I got some thoughts on it. Um, I guess, first of all, I, I'm, it's probably best for all parties involved. Kind of feels like this situation's run its course. It kind of feels like, Adrian Martinez needs a, needs a change of scenery. It kind of feels like Scott Frost in Nebraska and everything involved with the program maybe needs to hand the keys to the car to someone else. I do sometimes think to myself, man, we, we don't want to get too comfortable uh, saying goodbye and explaining away Nebraska losing its its best and most talented players and, and leaders on the team. Just like, ah, whatever. You know, we did that with Wondell Robinson. Like, ah, who needs him? Well, he turns out you saw him in Kentucky. He's pretty good. And I don't want to fall back into that trap with Adrian Martinez, but much like Wandell, much like Adrian Martinez, there's not a lot of winning. And for as much as we can we can talk about how talented those guys are, Nebraska wasn't winning with them. And so, I mean, I think the $64,000 question sometimes is like, okay, is is it 
is it those guys? Is it is it the program and what's around them? I mean, because there's kind of a saying in sports of every bad team has a best player. And, you know, was that Martinez? Was that Wandell Robinson? I, I I mean, I think we reasonable minds can can differ and and there, there's probably an argument to be made on, on a lot of different sides with that. But I just think, you know, and first of all, am I surprised? No, I, I I felt like this is where it was trending towards. And I could see a scenario where it's best for everybody. It's best for Frost. It's best for the program. It's also best for Adrian Martinez. And I was thinking more about Frost with this situation. Being granted a fifth year from Trev Alberts after four straight losing seasons. I know the term run it back has been thrown around a lot, uh, but Scott Frost probably couldn't afford to just run it all back, right? Like after four years of doing the same things with the same people in place, a fifth year of doing that likely produces the same results, right? So in my opinion, you know, Scott Frost on a variety of levels kind of has no choice but to try to switch things up. I mean, if you imagine a scenario in which in, in year five now, you're bringing back Ryan Held, Mario Verdusco, Matt Lubick, Greg Austin, Adrian Martinez as your starting quarterback. Like, it just feels like at some point, that's the definition of insanity. It's the exact same people in the exact same roles trying to do the exact same thing, and you have four years of results of what that looks like. So... I think that's why he made staff changes. Like he, Scott Frost is likely going to go into next year with a with you're looking at hiring a special teams quarter uh, coordinator. You're going to get a new quarterback. You're going to have a new offensive staff in place. Frost himself is going to gravitate towards a CEO role. Like I think all those things play into the Martinez discussion of like you just probably couldn't afford to just run this whole thing back with everybody in the same position. So I think it's important to kind of keep that in mind. Um, I also think Martinez, Adrian Martinez, staying at Nebraska maybe negatively impacts Nebraska's ability to land a transfer portal quarterback. I could see how his presence just being on the team, being in Lincoln, could scare off some quarterbacks. I mean, because uh, whoever this new office coordinator is going to be, even Scott Frost himself, you can say all the right things to a quarterback in a room like, hey, you come in, you're going to compete for the job, you you, you are going to be our guy. But you're like, well, wait a minute. Isn't that guy Martinez, who's a four-year starter and the all-time career offense leader and the guy that you have backed and stuck with and been loyal to, he's still here, right? Yeah, I don't know about about this situation. So, so there, there's also that when taking all this into consideration. So, I, I guess for me, when I saw that news, I, I it was like, yeah, that's kind of what I was anticipating, taking everything into consideration. Now, I, I will say on the other side of this thing, I, I, I said this last week in light of the shoulder surgery and the shoulder situation for Adrian Martinez, I actually thought that shoulder situation increased his chances of potentially staying at Nebraska because by all accounts, he's looking at a five-month recovery, which I think greatly impacts his situation. I thought he would maybe want to rehab here in Lincoln uh, at, at the University of Nebraska. And, it, and if he was going to – I thought from his perspective – if he was going to roll the dice and compete for a, a starting quarterback job coming off of surgery, I would have thought he maybe would have wanted to do that at Nebraska and make a good chunk of NIL money uh, while doing it. But that didn't happen. He is officially out. And so I'll be really curious where he he lands and, and how the rest of his career goes, because I, I do think... I, I do wonder if that shoulder surgery is going to care, it's going to scare off some potential suitors. I mean, you kind of never know how you're going to come back from that. He's not going to be able to go through spring football. He's only going to be cleared once the summer hits. And then let's not forget, like I just said, he didn't win very much. He, he didn't win very much. So it, it will be fascinating to see how he is sought after and viewed in the transfer portal because he is super talented. And like I said on the last podcast I, I, I recorded uh, talking about Martinez, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy that with, with different and maybe better surroundings, if he doesn't win and produce more. 
Like, I could see how some schools would look in the transfer portal and look at a guy like Adrian Martinez and think, here's a super talented guy. He's really experienced. He's really athletic. He had zero help at Nebraska. He had no running back, no elite wide receivers, a shaky offensive line his whole career, awful special teams, which put him in bad field position stuff, in, impacted red zone play calling. If, if we just get him here, we can coach him up and put better things around him and he'll be a good a good quarterback. Like I could see how some teams would look at Martinez and his situation and go, that's what we that's how we view. It. But again, he's 14 and 24 as a starter and you can make all the excuses in the world. Some are very legit, but he still made a lot of mistakes and just flat out didn't win very much. Plus, he's got that shoulder situation now on top of all that, which has to be taken into consideration on whoever's maybe taking him on. So I I've, I thought he would be an extremely sought-after quarterback in the portal, but maybe after the shoulder situation, maybe it diminishes a little bit. Who the heck knows? My guess is oftentimes when guys enter the transfer portal, they, they head closer to home, i.e. Wondell Robinson going back to Kentucky. Like More often than not, when guys transfer, they go closer to home. I'm I'm one of those guys. I was at KU. I was at Kansas. When I transferred, I went to Creighton, hour from where I grew up in Lincoln. So my guess is he lands somewhere out west since he's a Fresno, California guy. Uh, you've heard the stuff about I think he has his, his girlfriend goes to Kansas State. He, maybe he ends up in Manhattan playing in the Big 12. Uh, who knows? It's going to be interesting to watch because I think everybody – I certainly wish it could have ended differently – for him here at Nebraska, I really do. Dude is an A plus person. Carried himself with with so much grace under pressure. I do believe that he was a victim of poor circumstances. Of all the things I just said, stop me where I, stop me where the lie comes out of my mouth here. No running back for four years. Shaky offensive line for four years. Didn't have consistent elite wide receivers for four years. Had awful special teams for four years. Oh, by the way, his head coach is trying to flip a culture and rebuild a program for his entire four years. If you don't think in a roundabout way that's going to impact the quarterback spot, I don't know what to tell you, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. So... I wish Adrian Martinez the very best of luck. And I know for me, he is going to be a guy that I am going to be tracking where he goes. And every Saturday in the fall next year, I am going to be looking up when he's playing. I'm going to be watching him and I'm going to be rooting for him. Pretty amazing considering how this dude arrived back in, in 2018 as the handpicked guy by the hottest coach in the country who was a Heisman contender going into his sophomore year for him to end his career in a, you know, a sh he's got a shoulder sling. He goes, he has a losing record, doesn't have a single winning season, didn't go to one bowl game. It just, I don't know, anybody could have anticipated the Adrian Martinez story unfolding the way it did at Nebraska, but that's, that's how it unfolded. So Adrian Martinez officially entering the transfer portal. Be interested to see where he goes. I'm certainly going to be rooting like hell for the dude. Martinez, much respect. I think I speak for all uh, Nebraska fans, Nebraska media members, and every Nebraskan. You you represented the in the right way. You are are a a warrior, a total. Warrior. The dude played with a broken jaw. Like think about that. Think about that. Broken jaw. Played the whole second half against Wisconsin with clearly a shoulder that needed surgery almost let him do a win against the statistically number one defense in the country. High ankle sprain. Played through it. Like, really? Sometimes we just, we look at, we think about injuries, they're just like, they're things we say and see on a, on a piece of paper, like, oh, high ankle sprain. You ever had high ankle sprain? You can't move. You can't explode. You can't plant on it. It's hard. Broken jaw? Sheesh. So, warrior. Total warrior. Nothing but respect even as he uh, packs his stuff up and heads heads out of Lincoln. So uh, another thing with 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 Adrian Martinez real quick. I saw some I saw some chatter on on Twitter. I think it was Dan Hoppen that put out a poll question and it it really sparked some thoughts. And it, this isn't necessarily a new comparison, but it's interesting now that the the Mar the Adrian Martinez uh, era is over to think about. He put up a poll question of who was a better player, Adrian Martinez or Taylor Martinez? And you know what's crazy is 
I have thought about this, and I still can't totally decide how I would vote in that poll question. I really can't. Because on, on, on one hand, and I've seen this from uh, on Twitter from, from people, the easy thing to do is say, hey, dummy, hey, idiot, Taylor Martinez won. He led Nebraska to two division titles, played in two conference championship games. Adrian Martinez didn't win. Are you stupid? Of course the answer is Taylor Martinez. Like, I've heard that. From a, lot, from a lot of people. And to that, I would say, listen, I get what you're saying, but I also think it's pretty disingenuous to not look at the entire circumstances of each quarterback and take that into consideration. Look at what Taylor Martinez had around him and compare it to what Adrian Martinez had around him. I mean, it's not even comparable. It's not. Look, look at the weapons Taylor Martinez had around him. Rex Burkett, Amir Abdullah, Quincy Nunwa, Levante David, Jared Crick, Prince Amokamara, Alfonso Denner, Dejan Gomes, Eric Hag, Quincy Nunwa, Kenny Bell. I could go on and on, and you, you, but you get the point. Compare that to Adrian Martinez. He's throwing the ball to Cade Warner. At running back, it's a mixed bag of, of Maurice Washington, Greg Bell, Wondell Robinson having to come over at, at, from the slot spot. Ramir Johnson, Marquise Stepp. That's, I mean, and then at, it's it's and then defensively, you don't have a Levante David, you don't have a Jared Crick, you don't have a Prince of Mukamara. Oh, by the way, don't get me started on the special teams and the kickers that and punters that were playing with a guy like Taylor Martinez. So I, I think you I think you have to take all that into consideration on some level. But what's the reality is Adrian Martinez and Taylor Martinez were, were really, really very similar players, both wildly athletic, both extremely turnover prone. Both were kind of turnover machines. When they were good, they were really good. And when they were bad, they were really bad. Both were, were benched at some point during their time in Nebraska. Both were injured a fair amount. But where they were different was how they carried themselves and, and how they spoke publicly to the media in particular. Adrian Martinez looked and sounded like a quarterback. Taylor Martinez looked and sounded aloof. Like he, 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 he didn't, he didn't fit the description of what we conjure up in our minds when we think of a quarterback or we think a quarterback should sound like, like Taylor Martinez was recruited to be a defensive back and he transitioned into being a quarterback. And for a lot of people, he was viewed by, by a lot of people that he was an athlete playing quarterback, not necessarily a, a pure quarterback. Adrian was a pure quarterback. In fact, he was handpicked by, again, the Golden Boy, Scott Frost, who is a former quarterback known as a quarterback guru, who was the hottest quarterback in the or hottest coach in the country back in 2018. This was his handpicked quarterback. Like all that stuff impacts how you view it, right or wrong. It, it impacts how you view the whole picture of Martinez, Adrian Martinez, it is. And what's crazy is even though they are similar, of all the things I laid out, I trusted Adrian more. And I know that sounds bizarre if you're just if you're just looking at a, a final record. I, because honestly, I feel like that has nothing to do with their their play on the field, and it has to do with with how Adrian Martinez carried himself and spoke. I just this is as this is just me. I never trusted Taylor Martinez in a big spot. I just didn't, even though he came through at times. I just. Never fully trusted that dude when he was at quarterback. And even though Adrian Martinez never came through in a big spot, I trusted him. I trusted him more. Isn't that weird? Like, I'm just being totally an open book with you guys and how, I'm, how I view the two quarterbacks. Because I know the reason I, I know my logic is flawed. One guy won, one guy didn't. One guy came through a few times in a big spot. The other guy never did. But I, for whatever reason... I trusted Adrian more than Taylor Martinez. And as we talk this out, I guess what I'm saying is, if you listen to how I'm arguing, like 
I guess I'd probably cast my vote for Adrian Martinez on who is the better player. Even though it doesn't make sense. And it's way harder to justify. I mean, it's impossible to justify. But I guess for me, it just comes down to a few things. Number one, Taylor had 100 times more help around him than Adrian Martinez did. You put you put Adrian Martinez in Taylor Martinez's spot, I think he wins the same and maybe even more, to be honest. And then number two, I am one of those guys who thinks leadership, both verbal and nonverbal, matter, that matters at the quarterback spot. Taylor didn't have it. Adrian Martinez did. So I guess if I had to vote, I'd vote for Adrian Martinez, which is just weird how sometimes you process things in your head. I know it doesn't make sense if you look at the just a blind resume of like, Wins, losses, all those sorts of things. But that's where I, that's, I'd, I'd, I've been in the media for, you know, now, gosh, what is this, my 12th year? I mean, I was, in, I covered all of Mar Taylor Martinez's career. I've obviously covered all of Adrian Martinez's career. I mean, I watched every snap, every play, and thought about those guys a lot. I guess I'm going with Adrian. Weird. Weird how you process that stuff. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza. I got to talk to you guys about something. The Eagles ran Philly special in Super Bowl 52, right? Remember that trick play? It was incredible. It was amazing. Well, Runza has huddled up, and they got their own version of Philly special. How about a Philly-style Runza? Oh, man. For a limited time only. You can get a Philly style Runza. Everything you love about a Philly combined with everything you love about a Runza wrapped up into one. So if you got a hunger as big as the Sixers center Joel Embiid, you need the Philly style Runza. You got green peppers, grilled onions, steak seasoning, Swiss cheese, and of course, juicy, delicious, succulent steak all wrapped into a Runza. Oh, my goodness. The combination of steak and Runza. I mean, that's kind of like the combination of Adrian Martinez and Samari Torre. It's just fantastic. So get your Philly game right. Get your Philly-style Runza game right. Again, this is for a limited time only. So head out to Runza today and get a Philly-style Runza. Runza makes it all better. Okay. Mickey Joseph. So... I, like all of you, I'm sure, have been waiting each hour of each day this entire week for the big announcement of new staff members being hired by Scott Frost. And we kind of finally got some, some news with the hiring of wide receiver coach Mickey Joseph from LSU, which to me sounds like it is a huge get for Scott Frost. He's a big-time recruiter, former Nebraska quarterback, seemed like a guy that was high on Scott Frost's priority list of landing when some he made some coaching changes. And... When you look at Mickey Joseph and you look at Nebraska, the bottom line is this. Nebraska needs more and better impact skill position players, period. Period. Nebraska needs more impact skill position guys. They don't have enough of them. They do not have enough of them. Nebraska hasn't had enough true difference makers at running back and wide receiver over the course of, you know, for sure, the Scott Frost era. And you could even go past beyond that. And again, it's funny. Like, everybody talks about Stanley Morgan like he was Jerry Rice. It's like, he was good. Didn't play in, in the NFL. That's kind of what it takes. That's kind of what it takes. And to me, Mickey Joseph could make a big difference in all of that with his connections and his track record as a recruiter. The guy recruited and coached two first-round wide receiver picks in the last couple of years, most notably Jamar Chase, who was a superstar at LSU and in the in the, in the the league. So to me, the announcement and the hiring of, of Mickey Joseph, really important. And it kind of provides some relief to at least hear something. Because there is that, the big hire is still out there in whoever this offensive coordinator hire is going to be. And it's hard to not be stressed out a little bit as you consume all of this from afar for Nebraska, right? Like, I think for me, 
when Scott Frost announced the firing of the four staff members with still two games to go in the season, I think everyone assumed that Scott Frost would have at least his offensive coordinator locked in and in place kind of on maybe Monday after the Black Friday Iowa game, Tuesday, for sure by Wednesday. I think that's kind of what the school of thought was. Okay, they're getting a jump start on this so they can hit the ground running, recruiting, and doing all that. Which maybe was silly to think because at the end of the day, the season is still going on. And the other thing that you can never necessarily predict, the other thing is I do think the the massive moves from Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to USC and then Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame and going to LSU has sent shockwaves throughout the college football hiring world to where everything is now kind of in flux. I mean, maybe maybe Scott Frost had Mickey Joseph locked up and then Brian Kelly takes the job and he wants to see if he's going to, Brian Kelly wants to keep, but whatever, right? Who, who knows? But the dominoes of these coaching carousel moves, especially when big ones happen, it's one thing when Kent State, Kent State has fired their head coach. Like, okay, well, but it's when, when it's USC and Oklahoma and LSU and Notre Dame, there's a lot of moving parts with all that. So, so certainly that's probably a part of, of, what potentially could be holding some things up or what's going on behind the scenes. Because I do try to remind myself of those things as I begin to have that, like that panic set in and, and wanting to smash that panic button with everything. Because sometimes I succumb to that smashing that panic button and go, Oh man, I can't help but think that every day that passes, the chances of a frost landing his top choice at offensive coordinator diminishes greatly which I don't know if that's true or not. It's certainly unsettling to kind of have those thoughts in my mind. Uh, now, just because you don't land your top guy doesn't mean the other guys are doomed to fail. But as I say that out loud, I'm, I'm also willing to say, I have no clue what's going on. I have no idea. I, I don't know what Scott Frost's list look, looks like. I don't know who his top choices are. I don't know who is locked in already and, and who isn't, who has said no, who, who hasn't even interviewed yet. I, I don't know any of that stuff. So who really knows what's going on? I don't know. You don't know. But that void of information and silence does kind of make you go mad. And it, and it makes you nervous. And for me... You know, in that silence and in that void of, of of information, you get to thinking about things and sometimes you overthink it. But I, I, I hear a few of my thoughts over the course of this last week. You know, you hear a bunch of names for offensive coordinator. And, and I'll say, I'll, I'll, all I'll say is this. Even though Scott Frost is making changes and giving up play calling and, and handing the keys to the offense to someone else, I do sometimes hesitate to think in this situation, Back against the wall, he Scott Frost was granted a, another year, but it's pretty much understood he's got to win or he is going to be fired from his alma mater and his home state. In that situation, while you're willing to do anything to make sure that, that this works, I also think you got to look at it at a human level and really think about it from Scott Frost's perspective in that, I don't see Frost completely deviating from what he knows and what he believes in from a style standpoint in this one year, you got to win or it's over situation. Meaning, I still think Nebraska is going to run some sort of spread-based system. I would think Scott Frost is kind of thinking to himself, listen, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail doing what I believe in and what I know best. Which again is more spread stuff. So I struggle with that in mind to see him going to like an Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin type of offense where, you know, they're huddling up, they're chewing the play clock, they're controlling the ball. You know, they are running between the tackles the whole game, you know, off tackle, off tackle, play action boot fullback dot like I struggle to see that becoming what things look like next year with whoever this offensive coordinator is maybe I'll be wrong but I got to think he's like man if I'm going out I'm gonna go out doing what I know and so I'm gonna hire somebody in that in that mold because to make the type of shift to go to Minnesota Wisconsin Iowa's type of offense I mean that's a that's a hard shift to do with with your personnel I mean do you have the personnel to fit all that 
So that was that was one thought I had. Now, what does that really even mean? I'm not sure other than I think whoever he hires will share, at least on some level, a similar vision of offensive style and offensive philosophy. The other thought I had was this. I was wondering, as the as you're, you kind of don't hear anything, don't hear anything, don't hear anything, I was like, oh, man, I wonder if certain coaches are scared to hop on this hot seat situation, which would be a valid concern. But at the same time, with the nature of college football right now, it kind of feels like, I know this sounds weird to say, kind of feels like everybody's on the hot seat a little bit in some ways. I'm not certainly... Some seats are are flaming hot and others aren't. But just imagine, do you think Mickey Joseph, for instance, do you think Mickey Joseph anticipated after they won the national title, just whatever it was, two years ago, that he would be fired and having to take another job? Think about that now. Like, imagine LSU won a national title and a year and a half later fired. Imagine being on Ed Orgeron, Ed Orgeron staff and, and or viewing that situation and being like, you know what, year and a half, that thing is going down. So, you know, with programs moving on quick and big boosters willing to pay massive buyouts to coaching staffs, it's hard to find great stability really anywhere. Certainly not suggesting that there aren't more stable coaching situations out there than Nebraska and Frost. I'm simply stating and suggesting and pondering and wondering that maybe college football nowadays, they hit the eject button fast on coaches and coaching staffs and regimes. Every situation's kind of day-to-day in some ways. So I was thinking about that. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. We shall see. Speaking of college football and shakeups with these coaches, I brought up Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly. I got a few quick thoughts on those situations, then I got some Creighton and Nebraska thoughts I'm going to get to. First of all, like most have pointed out, but it bears repeating, some of this some of this craziness that we've seen happen is on the NCAA and the implementation of the early signing period in December. When you move that up in the calendar, you move everything in these coaching decisions up on the calendar as well. That has sped everything up in this coaching carousel. Those coaches almost have no choice but to take those jobs right now if if they're going to take them. And these ADs and these chancellors and these board of regents have almost no choice but to fire guys and, and make coaching changes in the season if they're going to eventually. So otherwise, you're potentially throwing away a recruiting class because all the, you know, the top four and five-star dudes are going to be signed elsewhere. So. Certainly, some of everyone's frustration with things should be should be directed towards that. As far as the two situations specifically, Lincoln Riley and Brian, Brian Kelly, I do think while they feel the same, they're a little bit different to me. Number one, Lincoln Riley's move makes a, all the sense in the world to me. Just whenever you're assessing a job, sometimes you got to take emotion out of it and look at it like this. Is your job the best job in your conference? Is your job the best job in the conference? You always want to have the top job in your conference. And if you look at it, Oklahoma was arguably the best job in the Big 12, especially with Texas's struggles and they haven't been able to get their act together. Oklahoma was the cream of the crop in that conference. Now that they're going to the SEC... I don't think it's a situation of Lincoln Riley being afraid of the SEC. I think he looks and goes, well, listen, Oklahoma's now like the third or fourth best job. And then you look at USC, and USC is by far the best job in the Pac-12. By far. And you have a chance now to to dominate that conference and really dominate the whole West, West Coast and Western part of the United States with recruiting. So him him taking that job makes complete sense to me. When you look at Brian Kelly, I mean, I get, I get, I get it from all the things I just laid out about Oklahoma and USC applying to Notre Dame and LSU because it's hard to even assess Notre Dame because they're not in a conference. They're, Notre Dame's like almost its own island, its own entity with how it's how you judge it in college football with some of this stuff. 
And a part of me does wonder if Brian Kelly has seen what has happened when he gets into the playoff and plays some of these top SEC teams and goes, man, it's going to be hard for us to have the horses at Notre Dame to 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 ever consistently win against those top SEC teams when you do get in the playoff. But so I get it on that level, but where I don't get it and what is still just like mind-blowing and sad it is incredibly sad and shocking to watch a coach leave his team while they have a chance to make the college football playoff and win a national championship. That's unreal. I don't even know what the equivalent would be. Like, I mean, is that is that Greg McDermott when Creighton is going to be a three seed in the NCAA tournament, leaving to take the Louisville job right before the NCAA tournament, I don't. Is that is that a Xavier when they're the year they were the one seed with Chris Mack leaving right before the NCAA tournament to take the Louisville job? I, I, I don't, it's pretty unbelievable. I don't even know what you would you would compare it to. Notre Dame could make the playoff at the make the the college football playoff at the right if the right teams lose, and then. Obviously, you're in the playoff. You're playing for a national title. And he just walked away. Just walked away from that. And I couldn't imagine, as a player, how you'd feel given that that knowledge. Like, knowing that the committee is taking Brian Kelly's absence into consideration when ranking them right now, which is code for you ain't getting in. Imagine, I just couldn't imagine working your ass off as a player to to have a chance at a title, to win a national title, only to have your coach leave right before your you, the, the season ends. And not only does he leave you, but his decision to leave you could be the difference between you getting into the playoff or not getting in the playoff. I mean, wowza. So there's that. You know, I, I also recognize... Like, I don't know. That That's just, that still is, in, I don't know if I fully even processed that. Now, with both situations, Lincoln Riley and Franco, I also recognize the reality that whether anybody, uh, any of us want to admit it, we all have a price. We all have a price. I'm in my house right now. I love this house. Moved in September of 2019 done some work to the to the backyard, put some money into it. I love this place. That doesn't and and I have no intentions of moving, but if someone knocked on my door right now and said I'll pay you this amount of money for it and it was the right amount, I'd be like, "Honey, pack up. We're out of here." Every everyone everything has a price. For so for as much as all you right now out there right now want to act like I would never do anything like Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly would do. Well, for $100 million, there's a lot I'll do. What's that What's that Chris Rock line, which is a great line? A man is only as faithful or loyal as his options. Like it or not, that's true most of the time. Sometimes there is an amount of money that is just too much to pass up. So there's also that element of it too. And I also think with Lincoln Riley, I wonder if like, I'm a guy that would value my privacy and some element of of being able to go out and live my life without being in a fishbowl. And I think Los Angeles allows for that more so than Norman, Oklahoma. Like sometimes I wonder what it's even like for Scott Frost. Can he can Scott Frost or you know Tom Osborne back in the day or Tom Izzo in East Lansing or Bill Self in Lawrence, Kansas, you know, or Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa? Can those guys go anywhere without literally feeling like they're in a fishbowl and everyone's staring at them and everybody's crowding around. I don't, I, in LA, you can get lost in the millions of people and celebrities of it all. And I wonder if there's also that a little bit for, for Lincoln Rice. So there's a lot to consider. By the way, watching uh, these, these coaching situations and coaching changes and guys leaving and, and all that stuff has kind of drummed up some old emotions and memories for me because unfortunately, I, you know, I'm very experienced as a player and a recruit with what these situations are like to go through. And 
I, you know, I tweeted some stuff about this earlier this week, but what's tough is, is lost in the whoa and excitement and discussing all these sorts of situations. Brian Kelly, LSU, USC, oh my God, Lincoln Riley. What? Lost in all those conversations is there are some 18-year-old recruits and even some players on the current rosters whose lives have just been flipped completely upside down. Been just completely flipped upside down. Now, that's the nature of life, but it doesn't change that fact. Because I, I I dealt with it I've on two fronts. Like I, re- I vividly remember April 2003. I was at Lincoln Southeast High School. I had just gotten some shots up after school. I'm driving home. I come into my front door. I turn on the TV right there in my kitchen, and I see the news on ESPN. Roy Williams leaves Kansas, going to be the head coach at North Carolina. And I I thought I was going to faint in my kitchen. I was devastated. I had just, after spending two or three years stressing about going on visits and thinking about my college basketball decision and where I was going to go spend the next four years of my life, who I wanted to play for, what system I wanted to play in, I had arrived at the decision that I was going to go play for Roy Williams at the University of Kansas. And then, boom, Roy Williams is headed to North Carolina. And I'm like, oh, my God. Just like that, rug pulled out from underneath me. And it's one of those things. My life has ended up being great, and and it led me down a path of, of playing for two of the best coaches to ever coach basketball. I got to then cross paths with and play for Bill Self for two years, who I love that man. He's a Hall of Famer. And then it ultimately led me to go to Creighton and play for Dana Altman, who I think is a future Hall of Famer. And I love that man. So my life has ended up well, but I, I can't, I just, I'll never forget that feeling in my kitchen in April of 2003. And I'll never forget the subsequent weeks of figuring out what the, what the hell am I going to do? The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. I don't want to bore you guys with with a little bit of my background. I I wasn't so I I was a preferred walk on at Kansas. So I hadn't signed a letter of intent. What had happened was Kansas. What's weird? I was a weird recruit. Kansas recruited me harder than any other school. All other than that, I was there was, there was a lot of mid major schools: Ohio, Boise State, Creighton, Bowling Green, a lot of those types of schools. But Kansas recruited me harder than anybody, and they came to more high school games. They came to more AAU games. Ohio probably came to a little bit more, but they came to more AAU games. I had a I talked to Coach Williams or Coach Joe Holiday at the time every week for two years. And they were always upfront and honest with me. At the end of, of uh the recruiting cycle after my junior year, heading into my senior year, they said, Here's what we see, Nick. You are sixth on our list of top perimeter players we are going to take three perimeter players. We have offers out to five guys. If certain if if the right if some of those guys turn them down and it gets to you, scholarship's yours. I'm like, "Cool. Love the honesty." All right, I'll wait it out. JR Giddens, McDonald's All-American, he commits to 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 Kansas. Uh Jeremy Case scored 2000 points for McAllister, Oklahoma, really good shooter. Uh he commits to Kansas. But then Shannon Brown commits to Michigan State. Marcus Dove commits to Oklahoma State. It comes down to Omar Wilkes, and I'm right behind him. Omar Wilkes, son of Jamal Wilkes, is deciding between UCLA and Cal and Kansas. And Omar Wilkes chooses Kansas. So I'm the odd man out. 
And right after that decision happened, I had a bunch. Kansas kept on recruiting me. And Roy Williams then convinced me, said, hey, listen, I see a role for you here. We still want you here. Would you be interested in walking on? We still want you here. And after after considering all these other options, I, I decided that's where I wanted to go. The reason I bring that up, my situation was unique. So now there's nothing contractually binding me to the University of Kansas, which was good and bad. It's good because it allowed me the flexibility if I wanted to pursue some other options, I could have because there was nothing binding me to KU. But it was bad because all it would have taken was for Bill Self to swoop in and go, Nick Bahi, I don't want that. No, no, he's I don't want him. And now I'm sitting there. It's late April, early May. Summer school starts in a in a in a month for a lot of these schools, and I, I'm I'm left going, where am I going to go? I don't know. I still don't know what I would have done if Bill Self would have said, I don't know. I I've don't know because th- it was a different world back in 2003. There was the transfer portal wasn't like it was. People the scholarships that people usually didn't have scholarships open. All those kinds of things. So I guess I'm just I'm bringing that up because like a lot of this week has kind of conjured up some old emotions of of the stress of like what the f- am I going to do? Who's going to be the next coach at Kansas? What am I? Where am I going to go? Do I fit this guy? Does this guy want me? Do I even want to go play for this guy? I remember when Bill Self was hired, I was like, okay. I mean, I I had watched Darren Williams and D Brown Luther Head. I love that team. I'm like, okay, I got to meet with him. He all this stuff. I mean, it's it's stressful. It is stressful. And now, I mean, as, as time has passed, like, listen, I don't blame these coaches for doing what's best for them, but some of these recruits then are put in a really tough spot. They're put in a really, really tough spot. The other thing with this, the, you know, the, everything that's happened, Brian Kelly, Lincoln Riley this week, has been people have talked about how, in particular, the Notre Dame players found out Brian Kelly was leaving them that they had to find out through Twitter, social media, and the news. They didn't hear it from Brian Kelly. And then by the time the news got out, there was you know the report that Brian Kelly sent a message to all the players, hey, yep, it's true, I'm leaving. There's a meeting tomorrow at 7 a.m. I'll explain to you that. And unfortunately, I know a thing or two about that as well because after my junior year at Creighton, we had just lost in the NCAA tournament in the first round to Nevada. And so after my junior year, Dana Altman left to take the Arkansas job for about 48 hours. Now, in ultimately a shocking twist, he comes back to Creighton. If you remember, he went through the introductory press conference, did the pick suey thing and all that stuff. And then 48 hours later, he's back in Omaha as, as the Creighton coach. But the reason I bring that up is because I didn't find out about that from Dana Altman. I could, I'm walking into uh, one of my classes and I get a text from a friend that simply says, assuming you heard Altman to Arkansas. I'm like, the fuck? what? Huh? So I'm immediately calling some of my teammates. I'm calling Dotzler. I'm calling Dane Watts. I'm coming like, wait, were you guys hearing this? What? The-? Lo and behold, it was true. And you're like, whoa. And I remember at the time feeling really upset about that for a while, like really upset. Yeah. I would say things like it's not the, I mean, him leaving is one thing, but the fact that he didn't tell us for, we didn't hear it from him first. That really bothers me. And all I know is that the, the more I get removed from that, the more I think two things, number one, it would have hurt either way, whether I heard it from a text message from my friend and then verified it on online or Dana Altman called us in and told us, it would have hurt either way. And then the second thing is along those lines is, sure, ideally it would have been nice to hear it from Dana Altman first, but we don't live in an ideal world, especially with big news like that. The one thing I will say, though, with with all this stuff, so one of the players at that 7 a.m. meeting for Notre Dame videotaped Brian Kelly's meeting with the team and telling him that about why he took the LSU job and all this stuff. And I watched that video, and it couldn't have been more different than when Altman finally met with us to tell us he was leaving. Because I'll never forget that meeting. Because Dana Altman, Mr. Stoic, uh, never would show sort of sentimental emotion. Very rarely. 
when when Dana Altman finally met with us a few hour for a, a few hours after the news broke in the locker room that he was in fact leaving for Arkansas, he walked in. He could hardly speak. He was crying the whole time. He was devastated. He would start a sentence and he would start crying. He would try to say something and and get choked up. He was devastated. Devastated. It was clear he was torn up about the decision. You contrast that with Brian Kelly. He couldn't have seemed more emotionally indifferent about it all. No emotion, no tears, which is odd to me. Now, not saying everyone processes these sorts of things the same way, but I saw that and thought, like, I don't know. Brian Kelly has come off a little phony to me with all this stuff. And then you see the, the it, Brian Kelly speaking at the LSU basketball game after being hired, and he had this, like, half-Southern accent as he was talking. You're like, man, is this dude a phony baloney? What's the deal? I thought that was interesting as well. So, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of experience in coaches leaving and taking another job and it, flipping your world upside down as a player and recruiting and then not finding out from the coach if they're taking another job. Wild, man. Wild stuff, the stuff you experience if you go through this thing called life. All right, I'm wrapping it up with this, with some hoop stuff. Five burning questions for Nebraska basketball and for Creighton basketball as now this, this competition is about to heat up for both teams. Nebraska's going to start to play some Big Ten teams. Nebraska's going to be playing Kansas State and Auburn. Uh, Creighton's about to play Iowa State and Arizona State, and then they're going to start to play some conference games. So things about to heat up. Panera Bread University and Roast Beef State and Lucky Charms Tech, they're not coming to town anymore. It's about to get real. Five burning questions for Nebraska basketball and Creighton basketball. Start with Nebraska. Question number one, can they find some, some three-point shooting? Can Nebraska find any three-point shooting? They rank 314th in the country in three-point shooting. 314th. They're shooting 27% from three. They got to get that fixed, man. They want to take a bunch of threes. It's a huge part of their offense. They got to start making them. Can they? Big question. Question number two. Can Nebraska find a defensive stopper? With Trey McGowan's out, Nebraska is severely lacking a solid defensive stopper which is a big problem as this competition starts to increase. You saw Seaborn the other night for NC State light up Nebraska for 39 points, and he could get it to the rim at will and do whatever he wants. Who is going to emerge as that defensive stopper? Nebraska has to find someone to take on that role a little bit. Can they? Question number three. Can Nebraska find some toughness, man? You look at, at Nebraska, outside of Derek Walker, Nebraska doesn't really have a single guy who seems to really take pride in and identify themselves as a dude that is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick your ass, I'm going to play defense, I'm going to rebound, I'm going to take a charge, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive on that loose ball, I'm going to block out. They don't really have a lot of guys like that outside of Derek Walker. And I get it. Nebraska is a team that's built to outscore you, but they still got to have some fight on defense. Nebraska is a team that is littered with offensive-minded, not overly physical players, which is fine. There's a lot of teams that aren't necessarily, you know, big, bruising, enormous dudes. But they got to find some sort of teeth in their defense and rebounding and mentality, especially in the Big Ten, a league that I consider to be the, probably the roughest, most physical like, you better be a grown-ass man type of dude and type of team if you want to win it. Huge question mark. Can Nebraska find some, some toughness? Question number four. Can Alonzo Verge continue to trend in the right direction? We talked a ton about him on this podcast. You know, Alonzo Verge is the catalyst to Nebraska's team, and in particular their offense. When he plays well, Nebraska plays well. When he struggles, Nebraska struggles. He's a guy, we've talked about it, he played off the ball at Arizona State, he wasn't the primary ball handler, he's a guy that's more naturally inclined to want to score the rock, Ken Fred Hoiberg, continue to get him to balance that aggression to score with running the team, distributing the ball. I'm going to keep hammering that point because it is a big one, and it's a big burning question. Can Alonzo Verge continue to trend in the right direction, being a run-the-team type of point guard? And then question number five, can Nebraska win a close game versus good competition? Nebraska's had a hard time closing out games. They've had a hard time winning close games. And this season's kind of been no different. 
They've had a hard time finding a way to win, man. Against NC State, they had numerous chances to win. First of all, it should have never even gotten to overtime. They're up 14 points at one point in the second half. But then think about this. So they're up 14 in the second half. They were they led by two points in the first overtime. They led by five points in the second overtime. They led by four points in the third overtime. And then they lost in the fourth overtime. Can Nebraska find a way to win some close games as the competition increases and in Big Ten play? It's a because the reality is Nebraska's probably not going to be blowing teams out. They're going to be in a lot of one or two possession games. Can they find a way to win those close games? Certainly a big question. So those are my five burning questions with Nebraska basketball. With Creighton basketball, five burning questions for the Blue Jays as competition starts to ramp up and heat up. Question number one, can Creighton continue to play through the post and in the paint when competition increases? Creighton right now is shooting 59.6% from two-point. That's ninth in the country. And playing through the post has been a huge part of Creighton's offense so far. Ryan Kalkbrenner in particular, but also Ryan Hawkins and Keyshawn Fiesel, even Arthur Kaluma at times. I found myself in big offensive possessions saying they need to post up Kalkbrenner. They got to post up Ryan Hawkins, which isn't necessarily how this team has been built over the last handful of years. Can Creighton continue to have success throwing the ball inside when the competition increases, which usually means you have bigger, more active athletic bodies in the front line? Big question. Question number two, can Ryan Kalkbrenner continue to protect the rim? This dude, the seven-foot sophomore, has been incredible defensively through the first eight games of the season. He's blocking two and a half shots per game. He's altering countless shots, deterring a lot of people from even wanting to go in and attempt shots at the rim. And the big thing is he's doing it without fouling. Chew on this. Ryan Kalkbrenner ranks 31st in the country in block shots per game. Again, two and a half per game. Of the 83, of the top 83 shot blockers in the country, Ryan Kalkbrenner has the fewest fouls with eight total fouls. He is doing an amazing job protecting the rim without fouling. Greg McDermott has told me that he's been surprised how far along the defense is for his team, how quickly they pick things up and how they perform consistently on that end of the floor. I think a big part of that is having rim protection with Kalkbrenner. Can he continue to do that? Number three, burning question. Same thing as I asked with Nebraska. Can Creighton find some consistent three-point shooting? Creighton ranks 234th in the country in three-point shooting at 31%. They've been streaky, and they're still a program that is built to get production from the three-point line. Can Creighton find some consistency from beyond the arc? That's a huge question. Burning question number four. Can Creighton cut back on their turnovers? Creighton's averaging about 14 turnovers per game, which is quite a bit. They're turning it over on 20% of their possessions, which again is quite a bit. Can Creighton play fast, but play smart and play with discipline and take care of the ball? You give teams live ball turnovers. You put yourself in transition situations where you don't have advantageous numbers. You're in trouble. Can Creighton cut back on the turnovers? And then burning question number five for Creighton. Can Sharif Mitchell stay healthy? I think lost in the start of the season and some of the storylines for Creighton is how impactful Sharif Mitchell's absence has been. He had the foot issue in the summer and oftentimes Injuries attract other injuries. So to me, the foot injury probably attracted the groin lower body injury that he's been he's been dealing with. Shreve Mitchell's missed three total games this year, and they were all home games, and they were all games Creighton had to grind to find a way to win. He he did play in Creighton's last win over North Dakota State, and it was by far the best he's looked all year. His timing, his legs, his rhythm, his pop all looked pretty darn good. His presence makes a huge deal. On a roster littered with youth and inexperience, he's the oldest and most experienced player in terms of experience at Creighton on this roster. Plus, he's Creighton's best on-ball defender. He's their defensive stopper. And his presence also takes some ball-handling duties and ball-handling pressure off Ryan Nemhard, who's having to shoulder a massive load, which makes a difference. Coach McDermott has talked about how stealing Nemhard a, a, a minute here, a minute there, a few minutes here, a few minutes there 
will will also help him stay more fresh as the season and games wear on. With Sharif Mitchell healthy and in the lineup, you can do that. So can Sharif Mitchell stay healthy? That's the fifth and final burning question I got for Creighton as their competition increases and Biggie's play is right around the corner. There we go, baby. Appreciate you downloading, listening to the podcast. Make sure you, you click that subscribe button for the YouTube viewers. Make sure you click that subscribe button. It all helps your boy out, and we will be continuing to monitor various things with great basketball, Nebraska basketball, Nebraska football, and those hires. We'll get you covered, as always, on the Nick Bob Podcast. We'll catch you next time. A Huda Media Production.